Welcome to the Business of Church podcast, hosted by Des Stewart and Corey Belfon, founders of Good to Give. This is the podcast where ministry meets business. Together with our esteemed guests from within the Christian community, we explore the challenges, solutions, and benefits of embracing a business mindset when managing a nonprofit organization. At Good to Give, we've helped hundreds of church leaders increase their income and impact over the past 12 years, and we've seen firsthand the difficulties pastors face when trying to balance the spiritual aspects of running a ministry with the practical, more business-related aspects, and we've created this podcast to help. In this episode, Des and Corey are joined by Bishop Wayne Malcolm, also known as the Business Bishop. They discuss the importance of strategic thinking and business principles in the ministry, emphasizing the need for churches to have an online presence, engage with social media, and diversify their funding sources. Bishop Malcolm also shares insights on the role of AI in church operations and the evolving mindset of modern ministries. Just to remind you, if you want to catch the video edition of this episode and future episodes, visit and subscribe to our YouTube channel by going to youtube.com slash at good to give limited. Welcome, Bishop Wayne Malcolm, to the Business of Church podcast. It's an honour to have you here. Um, really looking forward to getting into the nitty gritties of what you're about and what life is like for you on your journey. So, welcome. Yeah, don't forget, formerly known as the Business Bishop. Exactly. Presently known as the Business Bishop. Yeah. Presently known. Currently <laughs> known. Exactly. It's an honour and a pleasure to be here Lovely. with you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so why don't we start where we like to start really, which is your sort of your earliest memory of your journey that's led you to where you are today. What, what do you think is one of the key sort of moments where you can go back and say, this is where I began my journey? Yeah, so I began my professional life in financial services as an independent uh, financial consultant, which is a fancy way of saying that I sold um, financial products for for a company. Uh, I was a salesman, really, but they taught us to understand the world of financial services and and then spent a lot of time um, motivating us because we were independent, meant we were self-employed. We worked with an agency. And so the manager of our agency uh, made sure that we read motivational books, made sure that we attended motivational seminars. So as a teenager, I was exposed to the Zig Ziglars, the, Zip, the, the Jim Rohns, the Napoleon Hills. And then we got a lot of training around just leadership, management, sales, um, I guess just being a conversationalist and things of that nature. Well, as a teenager, and and I was making uh, you know uh, considerably more money than people twice my age, because of the commission. You know, we were we were selling mortgages, we were selling pensions, we were selling life plans, and giving general financial advice. So at the ripe age of twenty one, okay, because I you know I got saved, I became a Christian at fifteen. And and I knew that I would go into the ministry, right? Uh, at fifteen. Is that because of the environment that you came it, from? That, no, there, there was a sense of calling with me. I mean, the environment I came from was just call, called the world. 
okay. <laughs> your, your, your parents were no. Christians. They didn't attend church. Themselves. Correct. Okay. Correct. So uh, that's, that's at fifteen. That's quite. Uh, yeah. Quite a leap. It was. It it was dramatic. Uh, to say the least, and it's kind of a long story, uh, which I'm happy to tell maybe in a future podcast. But, yeah, yeah. but um, uh, so at, at at the ripe age of 21, I kind of obeyed the call to to go into ministry. Mm. So I left that opportunity, that particular opportunity, and started a church. Um, I guess at 21 years old, starting a church. Let me just. I, there's a thing called imposter syndrome, and I'm thinking to myself, at 21, are big people going to be coming to my church and listening to me speak? Because you look young as it is right now, so I can only imagine what you look like back then. Uh, no, you got it right. You got it right. Yeah. Been some we all had yeah. back then. Yeah. Do you know? I think it was the years I spent in financial services that gave me a certain confidence because we had to go out and called canvas and we had to start conversations with people who who we did with strangers and then you know make an appointment follow up go to their home make a financial presentation sign on the dotted line so because i was doing that since i was 18 um i guess i had a certain confidence about uh talking to strangers and uh, I guess all the motivational material, as well as all the theological studies, because I was going to Bible school as well. Right. Just, I just knew that, yeah, that I, 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 I could do this. I mean, it wasn't that I didn't have trepidations, right? Uh, obviously, the butterflies were there and everything else, and all the usual doubts we contend with. But I knew that it was a calling on me to do that. So. Um, Yes, yeah, started the church at 21. Now, that church grew very rapidly. So within about 10 years, it was like the largest church in our particular denomination. And um, partly why it grew, obviously, there was a lot of passion. There was a lot of energy. I was deeply convicted of the gospel and was very much a preacher of the gospel, right? Um, and I said that to say this, that our membership wasn't people migrating from one church to another. These were people getting saved, like fresh out of prison, you know, out of drugs, out of various things, they were getting saved. And, uh, but I do think that partly um, why we grew is that I, I had a very strategic approach to doing ministry. Right. Like I took the same approach that I used to build my business in financial services. I took that same approach to doing church. Like I had close ratios in my head. I developed right. a I, I developed a presentation so I'd meet you I'd said make an appointment with you to come and do a Bible study with you at your home we do the Bible study which was the presentation and then and then I'd close you on <laughs> give give your life to Christ yeah. and I had these ratios that said look you know for every Bible study I need to talk to you know if, if, I, if I'm getting one Bible study out of five conversations right and if I'm getting one com one conversion out of five Bible studies I had it all mapped out yeah. and so we were very strategic and intentional about winning souls, but I, I got a lot of that from from my years in financial services. Did you did you 
did you train a team or was you doing most of it yourself? Oh yeah, so the whole scalability thing was really important as well. So um, so yeah, so people that 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 had joined us, I'd teach them how to do the presentations and how to set up presentations. So uh, our members were just very busy making presentations, and then we employed the cell group model very early on as well. So we we were having house meetings like all over the city, and you know so lots of newcomers would be coming to the Sunday service who had met us through one of the house uh, meetings and things of that nature. So, yeah, that very exciting years, actually. The cell model actually existed at this point. It did. It, it did. Well, I found out about it from a church in San Francisco, actually. There was a church in San Francisco that had this uh, model called prayer and share groups. And these were just little house groups where, you know, there was tea, coffee, uh, you know, little pastries and uh, a Bible discussion and a bit of prayer and, and a little bit of worship and then a lot of fellowship afterwards. And I loved the model. So we brought that model in and that was part of what, uh, what helped us grow. Okay. So when the other churches that are a part of the denomination saw what was happening, what was the... How did that go down? Yeah, it, there were some issues, I guess. Uh, for the most part, people were quite inspired. Um, you know, by then I began hosting my own annual conference that was sort of a leadership development conference. So a lot of pastors were coming along to kind of explore innovation, innovative possibilities with their own ministry. It was quite difficult back then because the church, particularly the, the Afro-Caribbean church, yeah. was duped into its tradition there was you know the you could you you could see who who was in church who wasn't back then you could you could yeah. see who oh, was yeah, saved yeah, yeah. and who was not right oh, yeah. because if you're a woman then you wore the hat yes, and you, yeah, yeah, you were yeah, totally you covered and you couldn't wear trousers and yeah. if you're a man it was a suit it was a tie it was all of that so so there were a lot of those things to overcome and i guess as we became more pioneering and more innovative and innovative and we pushed the envelope somewhat i guess we lost a lot of friends you know uh, but at the same time we made a lot of friends well, i was, was going to say because when you when you talk about um, having your own annual conference yeah that would have rubbed a few noses up the road. oh it really did yeah <laughs> it really did <laughs> what made you think that you had to do your own one to try and convince the church at large to move in the direction that you want well it's because i had been so impacted by by conferences so by that time i was going annually to some amazing conferences in in the states um and I made it part of my my life's journey to to attend preachers conferences, pastors conferences, pastor schools. So I was always going to conferences and thinking, oh, why don't we have something like that? You know, what if we could do this? And so I experimented with my own, and it just picked up. It gained momentum. I think the last one we did had like about twelve hundred delegates in it, and um, and then uh, and then a lot changed. <laughs> oh, okay. just, just, just out of interest right so because uh, i'm used to the old school convention district convention national convention yeah and eventually you go somewhere in the states and you have a grand big how was yours different to something like like that say your general uh the general the, the national conventions yeah so i think the national conventions usually were designed to 
uh, I guess, um, celebrate the the big brand, you know, the, the denomination, mm. right? And so there was a lot of business that was conducted at conventions around how the church as a denomination was doing. Mm. And it was more a matter of how we were contributing to the center, right? But my conference was more about how we could help you build your ministry, so people tended to come not to give something, but to get something. And they wanted some new ideas. They wanted some some motivation, some techniques, some tools. Yeah, so, so that was what made ours difference. There was no uh, denominational agenda. You could come from whatever denomination. And our, our, our roster of speakers were just people who had done well with church building, with church planting, with soul winning. And they were just going to share from their heart, from their stories. And so people went away, fired up, and felt like that they had been equipped mm. yeah that is good that is good it's because you know on our journey we meet a lot of ministers and um often you find that sort of big thinking or that sort of like i was saying earlier when we was talking you know sort of silos people just staying in their own silos not wanting to sort of merge and join and i just think that there's so much more that could be accomplished by us coming together sharing ideas uh, and that's why I really like what you was doing there, and I could see the appeal because even even within your silo, if you've got people coming to your church, they need tools to survive in this world. Really, you know, they're spiritual tools. That's fair enough, and I'm sure they get a lot of those. But the actual practical tools that they can use to just make their life better or to succeed, whether it be in their careers or whatever, I just think there's, it's just a, a missed opportunity often enough. If, if, if the leaders of the church don't broaden out the agenda slightly and mm. to give people more. Yeah, and, and I, I, I'm personally encouraged by the fact that um, uh, a lot more ministries are thinking that way mm. than were thinking that way back in the day. So back in the day, it was about you know, get your ticket to heaven, uh, live a holy life, and and wait till the trumpet sounds uh, so it's almost like we were being prepared to die <laughs> but we weren't being equipped to live yeah, exactly. and and there has been a shift uh, a noticeable shift and a sizable shift in the way that ministries think today and they realize that look well we actually don't know when jesus is coming back and we actually don't know when we're going to die so we need to be equipped to live and so churches are have today well certainly the churches i work with they have a much broader agenda a more holistic agenda and so it's no longer uncommon to see mental health seminars and workshops being done in churches uh, finance uh, personal finance financial literacy classes being done in churches health overall um, you know focuses within churches it's no longer uncommon see marriage enrichments and uh, relational counseling so we kind of look at the whole spectrum of a person's experience and try to provide assistance, support, tools. And that's becoming more commonplace. Now, it's not ubiquitous, but it's becoming more commonplace. You're finding that more so because there's a changing of the guard now. Real, for real, and yeah. Certainly as part and parcel of that whole Caribbean 
sort of and to some degree sometimes ignorant mentality <laughs> I know I said it not you <laughs> yeah, I didn't say that <laughs> I said it I said it well no it is <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah okay. um, but that I'm not going to take on anything new like you said you know, this is what we've done this is what we've always done and this is what we're always going to do yeah you know and I think there has been a change of regard we've come across now lots of younger ministers with a whole they've had the sort of formal training you know through university through they're a lot more educated yeah you know and I think that that speaks volumes in terms of the way in which you then impart what you've been educated with to a group of people that to be fair you are now responsible for yeah so they have to really have their own walk with Christ but you often find there's still a lot of people that really look at you and see what you're doing. And so yeah. therefore there's a certain weight of responsibility that's on your own shoulders. Mm. Yeah, um, absolutely. So that's, that's what I see now, you know? Yeah. It, it's one thing I, I wanted to ask where this sort of, you know, it's on our agenda to talk about, to be honest. Um, you mentioned a lot of those services or a lot of those tools. Um, how much formality and business structure do you think um, churches um, use or have used or should use to deliver those types of services? And do you think they should be charged for those services or they should be charged in? Yeah, so so I think part of the, the kind of evolution of the church's culture it involves greater awareness of, of the business of doing church. It's almost, it's almost something we didn't like to talk about, Definitely. right? We didn't, we didn't we want to use the word business and church in the same sentence. All right. Uh, but we've become aware of the fact that everything costs money, right? <laughs> we've become aware of the fact that our buildings cost money, our equipment costs money, our staffing costs money, our events cost money, everything costs money. Exactly. And God will provide and necessarily pay every bill. <laughs> well, yeah, it's 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 at it's at that place where I think we we reached the crossroads several years ago and realized that we're going to have to become more strategic and more intentional about how we fund our operations. And uh, it's it's gotten to the point where pastors that come to me or young ministers that come to me and say, "I want to start a church. What's your advice?" <laughs> okay. I used to talk to them about prayer. I used to talk to them about scoping the city. I used to talk to them about soul winning. And now the first thing I say is, how much money do you have? <laughs> All right. <laughs> and they can look at me like, what? I say, yeah, like, winning souls is free. Yeah, yeah. Building a church is going to cost. Yeah. And if you, um, if you underestimate the, the costs involved, or you are naive when it comes to the business of church, you're not going to successfully build a church community because there are costs. And you're going to have to kind of put on an entrepreneurial cap. And, and as much as it's not your business, you still have to think of it as God's business. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You're stewards of God's business. Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. Yeah. And so you have to look at church planting and church growth as having a very real business component. And I think as part of the evolution of our culture, we are, are increasingly more aware of that. Yeah. I think, I, think, I think we should just take a moment to just pause and just consider that. Mm. It's the whole reason why we came up with this podcast, which is the business of church. Mm -hmm. But the simple fact that we see so many, and you mentioned it just a, a moment ago, we see so many of our churches that don't, would never even understand what a budget is or how to budget. Yeah. You know, um, 
and the, the God will provide mentality mm. is what's prevalent. Yeah. You know, mm. so when I talk about that old God, that's where I'm really coming from. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that is really, really key. You know, this is God's business and we need to set about doing God's business the way it needs to be done. Mm. Yeah. yeah. If, if you had to, you know, this is not an easy question to answer, but just pluck a figure. You know, a young minister comes, because what I like to do is ask questions that I know people listening will probably be thinking. Um, so, you know, what's it going to take to start, a, you know, a church in, in, in London? What, what, what sort of money are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> double click. I like to double click on there. <laughs> so, so the answer to that is, is, is how long is a piece of string? I knew. Right? So it, it's almost like saying, what will it cost to start a business? Right. It depends on what kind of business you're in and at what level you want to come in. So the reality is that um, uh, I would say um, to to create some sort of cash flow forecast and literally do what Jesus said and count the cost. Right. So uh, I guess the first cost is you're going to need a venue. Right. You're going to need a place to gather. All right. Uh, but but then marketing and advertising uh, and promoting your presence is going to cost. And then there are going to be some stuff that you may need. Now, initially, you, m you may rely on volunteers, but you may need some expertise because we actually live in an optical age, right? We're in an optical age in which anyone that's not online doesn't exist, yeah. right? So, so your online presence is the new due diligence. Yeah. Like, you know, back in the day, if you need to look up a company, you'd have to write off the company's house and wait to get a report back. Yeah. Today, yeah. the new due diligence is, do you exist online? Yeah, exactly. Do you have social media handles? Do you have a following? Do you have engagement on your social media? If you don't have any of that, you don't exist. So there's gonna your marketing and your promotions is gonna cost a, at a certain level. Now, again, depending on the size, uh, you know the level you're coming in at. You 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 may need to employ an administrator on a part-time basis. You may need to employ a musician on uh, on 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 a pay-as-you-go basis. You may need to employ a, a camera person and all. So it's about figuring out what these things cost um, over any given month. Mm -hmm. Right. And and then you can look at a year's projection. Yeah. And I say that, look, uh, the same thing I will say to my business clients, because um, I'm not sure if I've said it already, but professionally, I'm a, I'm a business development coach and I give business advice to entrepreneurs in the private sector right. as, as a general rule. And what I would genuinely say to them is, look, if you need the money. Right. Mm -hmm. To live on mm -hmm. your business is unlikely to succeed. Mm -hmm. What you're going to want is six months plus of 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 the costs of running your business before you take anything out. And some people will go a year or two years before they take anything out. So what I say to a young pastor is, look, just begin to count the cost. And what you want to raise is enough to cover those costs for a significant period of time. And it would be great if you could start with that cash sum. Right. That's that's probably the best way to start as most of the really progressive churches all start with a cash sum. They won't tell you that, but they started with a cash sum. Right. Um, 
but don't fall down the old trap of thinking we'll just raise it from week to week. We'll just we'll just we'll just pray and ask people to give and hope that we'll hit the target, because that's the recipe for church open, church closed. Yeah. On, on yeah. that on that note, what additional advice do you give them in terms of not just relying on donations from members? Yeah, yeah, and that's a really big, big deal. And I think that's where we are at the moment. Is that we, we, you know, and when I say at the moment, I mean several years back. That that consciousness became very clear, right? And the pandemic made it super clear super. that you cannot fund a ministry on donations alone. Right. So this means that you're going to have to have some services that you can sell. Right. So you're going to have to become somewhat entrepreneurial, have some services that you can sell. Um, it means that you need to um, you need to factor in a profit margin to any events and, and things that you're that you're going to do. Any tickets you're going to sell for a concert or whatever. This break even mindset is not going to help. Right. And and then there are. Uh, potential sponsorships. There are um, uh, there are high net donors that can make a significant difference to your annual budget. All right, and and so um, people have to think. I guess pastors now have to think beyond the weekly collection, yeah. and to become very. Um, very entrepreneurial in the way they, and well, at least strategic and intentional about how they fund their ministry. And yes, there are there are options, some of which I've listed. Yeah, it's interesting. Your 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 um, explanation to a to a, a young minister really reminds me of when we started our business journey. So exactly, it's like we, you know, I was on my way back from work, and um, I remember saying to myself, you know, if you really believed in what what, what we're doing because we've been running our business part-time since our first business part-time for a number of years I remember talking to myself saying if I really believed in what I'm, I'm doing I would leave my job and I'd do this full-time and so I remember turning up because we Des was a contractor at BBC and we used to have meetings there in, in some spare room that and they allowed us to use and um, you know I remember saying to the guys look I'm prepared to leave my job if we all chip in a certain amounts of that, you know, I don't have to worry about income for the next six months, um, then I'll be prepared to, to leave my job first and then we can build things from there and so on. And, um, you know, and we took that seed, even though we'd been running it part-time, but it never really done much, but we took that That's seed. That, it's that belief. Yeah, it's the belief. And, I, you know, it, it made such a difference being your total focus and, you know, I always remember, you know, when I told my mum what I was going to do, she was like, oh, God, people just try and fail. People try and fail. And I, mum, you know, so I didn't... You've got to forgive her. I've got to forgive her. But, you know, I didn't tell her. She just saw me putting on a suit, leaving. She didn't know when I'd left yeah. uh, and so on. And we took that business from, from that seed, first year, 100 and something, to its peak at 17 and a half million. Mm -hmm. So I, I would that, say, you know, it's funny, where, where most businesses really don't make any money for the first 
two, three years. Two, three years. In, in, in that time, actually fail. Yeah. You know, we was actually, we was always in profit. Yeah, we was. But the, one of the good things that we had is, you know, Dez would be supporting, Lloyd would be supporting the business, but they weren't drawing a salary yeah. from it. Right. So it's, right. it still feeds into everything that you're doing. Yeah. 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 Um, so, it, it, you know, it, and this is the thing that we want people to understand is that but you, sorry, when, sorry, 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 let me just make this one point, is that as a, as a, a church founder, you're already an entrepreneur. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, know, you already yeah. are, a, a, you know, a, a, an entrepreneur and that you need to embrace that. Don't pigeonhole it and just apply it to just, you know, the doctrine and what you're trying to achieve spiritually. Because that same spirit that you have that made you go and do that can help the church grow in so many other ways. Yeah. 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 No, I was just really going to touch on the fact that even though you, you, you referred to the time where you know myself and mm. Lloyd are a business part of the time mm. didn't take from it was all part of a cash flow mm. yeah so we already knew when we were going to be coming onto the business exactly so a point where me coming onto the business didn't make sense mm. at that point so mm -hmm. it was deemed look don't leave your job just now keep keep working nights yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or during the day yeah you know but then you'll come on at this point yeah yeah so it was all part of a cash flow it's, you know it's, it's the it's, it's really what you're talking about you know if you if you plan it out, you actually get to see what's going to happen. Exactly. Where so well, if you don't plan to succeed, you, you plan yeah, to yeah, fail. Yeah. So yeah. can I can, you know can I talk to you about a, a slightly off topic situation, but still to do with business and potentially could help. You know AI in in, in, in church because there are a number of things that I you know I'm I'm a technologist. You know I've always been from primary school building robots through to what I do now. Um, and I see opportunities for AI in, in church, whether it be you know ministers um, using ChatGPT to prepare sermons and things like that, or to um, research theological um, subjects and so on. So, what, what's your thoughts on on, on AI right now? <laughs> it's potentially it's threat to society well apparently they say it's it's um it's a threat to the very existence of of humanity right but then they've said a lot of things about any new disruptive technology over the years right so uh my position is i'm a big fan of ai all right so obviously within my coaching uh, uh practice um, not only do we use some AI, but but I actually encourage our clients to to use the AI that works for them. Mm -hmm. So rather than seeing it the innovation as a threat, I think it's important to realize that there's an opportunity mm -hmm. uh, in there, right? Because if it does anything, it saves you a lot of time, exactly. and and it's an it's it's an additional mind. It can help you to rethink things 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 through and to reword some things, mm -hmm. right? So I think that there's a couple of ways that churches can use uh, AI if there's a tech savvy person now the most important thing to for me to say first of all is that I'm not suggesting that the pastor of the church become a tech savvy person and start trying to experiment with AI I am suggesting that right now in the modern world on your team there need to be a tech savvy person who is not afraid of the world of AI okay and then you can pilot certain projects and once you're happy with the results you're getting then you can you can really integrate um, the tech technology in, into your operation do you think that there would be objection if if the congregation knew 
that the pastor was researching some of the sermons he's holding uh, and, and some of the subjects he's talking about that he'd used an AI to do the research. Yeah, n- n- no more objection than the people who object to him using Google to, 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 to find... I mean, you see, there, there are people who are just not progressive, right? There are people for whom a calculator is a tragedy uh, because it took away the times tables, right? And and it stopped us thinking. There are people for whom a mobile phone is a tragedy because we don't have to remember anyone's phone number anymore because it's all stored, right? Um, and so there, there is a generational... I guess there there is a bit of a culture war between between the, the the generations, but I think people who are who are growing up in the modern world, people who who have been exposed to the internet as a as a way of life, um, are not as as uh, nervous about that. Now, w- one of the things I think it's important for the pastor to to know is is that even I'd have a problem. With you just saying to to, to chat GPT, uh, give me a sermon for Easter, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, and then and then to get up and and kind of work with that. I still believe you're supposed to pray. I still believe you're supposed to study the Bible. I still still believe you're supposed to ask questions uh, of God, of yourself, and of your congregation to kind of know where you want to go. But once you know where you want to go. Of course, ChatGPT can help you outline that, can help you think that through. Yeah. And the the technology behind ChatGPT is 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 also available, I guess, in other uh, in in other sorts of softwares. And I, and I think it's a matter of time before it's fully introduced into Bible study software, right? And and once it's in there, you'll probably get more out of that Bible study than you would, um, you know. So the way I look at it, it's a tool. And right. just like just like the Bible is a tool, you know, yeah. You have various tools to help you accomplish things. I don't see a problem with AI at all. Mm. I think for me, I I always look at it like, look, you the idea should come from you, right? Uh, and the tool is there to research your idea, yeah. And so therefore, if you're getting that information back. You're still going to if you're sitting there just reading what it's cut, what's coming up on the screen. <laughs> then, that's a, yeah. then you've got a problem. Yeah, right. But if <laughs> that's a problem, exactly. Yeah. But if yeah. you're if you're looking at it and, and you, you read through it and you think. And then it inspires you, gives you new ideas and so on and so forth. That is what I feel, you know, is is the next level. I think those who are doing it, they may, they, they're not going to evangelize well, about it. They're not going to tell people about it. But they, I think they're, yeah. you know, it's I mean, going to go to another to, level. To, to be honest with you, you put something into chat, uh, chat GPT and you just read it verbatim. Mm. You, you better have done your research just for the simple fact. Mm. It could be wrong. It could be wrong. wrong. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I'll tell you what, we, we're going to have to take this um, mm. to a part two of, mm. of, of this uh, <laughs> podcast. The last question, what advice would you give to pastors? Uh, initial bit of advice, and I know you spoke about, well, hey, if you're starting your church, this is what you would typically do, but what would be your overall yeah. advice to them? Yeah, so so within the context of this podcast, my overarching advice would be to say that that the business of your ministry is is a critical component, a critical success factor. That um, it's not carnal to 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 make it a priority. It's not unspiritual to make it a priority. It's um, important that you are prayerful and that you're obedient to your calling but understand that there's an engine 
in in your calling, and that's going to be the the business of the ministry, how it's managed, administrated, and how it's financed and funded, and that thinking about that and 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 learning about that so that you can be more strategic and intentional about it unashamed of it just to totally get the shame out of that game and know that nothing is going to work for you without the correct funding and and even if you get a lot of funding and you don't have a strategy and you don't have some financial controls and a budget to work with then the funding can just disappear and you and you don't even know where it's gone so become intentional and strategic about the business of your ministry and utilize some of the services that are available today i mean i you know i was looking at what what you guys do online and i'm thinking yeah i mean we need help there's a lot of ministries that need help they need people to 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 help them understand the business of the ministry and and make sure that those ministries remain liquid uh, for the foreseeable future you know and that they maximize on the opportunities to multiply uh, their income there are lots of opportunities including gift aid and everything else and yeah. some ministries not even taking advantage of so um, that would be that would be my my overarching advice okay splendid wonderful a, a great a great conclusion to our, our podcast I'd yeah. like to thank you for taking the time to come down and fellowship with us my pleasure and, um yeah we look forward to perhaps a part two definitely i'm up for it i like you guys <laughs> well that's a start people do business with who they like <laughs> good Great. yeah don't forget to follow us like us um and make sure you share and we'll see you on the next podcast the business of church god bless